Hey, this is Derek. I am the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Palaka, and I just want to thank you for downloading our podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, I'd love for you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We're going to continue to provide our Sunday service via podcast as well as live stream on the weekends. And we're going to be adding more content to this podcast as we go forward. So we're glad you're here. Hope you stay. May God bless you. Well, good morning, everybody. Life's a little hot this morning. Woo! Got things too. We're going to be in 1 Timothy this morning. 1 Timothy. You know, I have thought long and hard about Christmas. I always do this time of year. And the more I think about it, and the more I want to dig and find the most esoteric verses that I can in the Bible to talk about it, I always keep just coming back to the gospel. It doesn't get any better than that. And there really isn't anything else that we need other than the gospel. And Christmas is the celebration of the gospel with skin on it. Jesus crossing the threshold of heaven and coming down here for somebody like me. For somebody like you. And I don't think it gets any better than that. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy this morning. We're going to take a look at verse 15, 16, and 17. But I always like to point out when we talk about letters like this, you know, there's a 1st and a 2nd Timothy. You know what that tells me? It wasn't all fixed the first time. Paul needed a second letter. Timothy needed a little more encouragement. First and second Corinthians, the church at Corinth didn't get it all right the first time. So Paul had to pen a second one because we're not designed to get it perfect either. That encourages me this morning a little bit to think that I'm in first Timothy, but there's a second one coming because I know that I need encouragement this morning. And I also know too that the expectation is not that I get it perfect. The expectation is, is that I'm obedient. So we're going to look this morning at what Paul has to tell Timothy as encouragement as he sets off to try and set some of the things that had gone sideways in the church at Ephesus. But before we get there, I've read a story this week about a young man who's older now telling the story. And he says, when I was young, I was a lifeguard. And I've never done that before, but I've always been grateful when you go to the beach and you see the big tower and the big umbrella and you see somebody sitting up there and you know it gives you maybe a little bit of confidence when you go out in the water that if something went bad that there's at least somebody watching in the pool as a kid there was always lifeguards around the pool funny they never asked me to be one but that's a whole different story but this guy said you know one summer I had a very eventful summer as a lifeguard he said I set a personal record I pulled five people out of the water that summer that were struggling, drowning. And he said, I was just thankful, especially in hindsight, that God could take some seemingly silly ability like being a good swimmer and use it to save somebody's life. But he said, something else dawned on me. He said, all five of those people had one thing in common. Not one of them asked them to save me. 
Not one of them said, will you come down and save me? They just panicked in the water and they were drowning. They were yelling for help, but not one of them asked me to come get them. And you know, the world didn't necessarily ask for Jesus to come. But aren't you glad he did? Aren't you glad, like the lifeguard, he's sitting in that tower called heaven, watching. And when he knew the perfect time, when the father said, in the fullness of time, Jesus crossed the threshold, jumped into this pool called earth to provide us a lifeline. And I think the one thing we all have in common as well, those of us that know the Lord, not one of us before we knew him asked him for help. So when we look out at the world, I want you to put this in your mind this morning. They're flailing around, drowning, taking on more water every day. But I bet it's going to be slim to none that one of them raises their hand up and asks for us to help them. But, you know, isn't that funny that the job of the lifeguard isn't to save the people who ask? It's to save the people who are in trouble. So when I think about the role of the church, especially in this day and age that we're in, our job is to bring people a lifeline, whether they ask for it or not, because we all have something else in common, too. We were all flailing and drowning at one point, and we were all just taking on water by the mouthful, and some of us, I'll raise my hand, maybe already laying on the bottom of the pool, dead to everybody else. But Jesus went all the way down to the bottom. He pulled me up, sat me down. He pushed all of that water out of me. He relifened me. It's the only reason I'm standing here today. It's because he saved me. Paul looked at Timothy and he said, Son, it doesn't matter what goes sideways in that church as long as you are standing on the foundation and the truth of Jesus saves it doesn't matter how lost they are, how much they're drowning, maybe even how far gone they are, according to you. What matters is that you give them the lifeline that is Jesus Christ, and it will save them. I love when the Bible talks about it in Romans. It says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you will be saved. As a person who loves words, I love that word will in there. So much better than maybe, isn't it? So much better, better than, well, you know, it could happen. But there's certainty in the fact that when Jesus extends help and you reach out and you take it, salvation is there. Rescue is there. Christ reminds us that rescue is not only possible, but it comes exclusively by the way of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The lifeline coming from heaven to earth to breathe life in us. You know, according to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, and She shall bring forth a son, and I shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew knew it at the beginning of his Gospel. He's going to save people from the thing that is drowning them. 
Not one of the disciples was looking for him. He went to them. And I look at the function of the church and the culture and the age that we are. They're probably not going to run through the back doors anymore. So we've got to be willing to leave our power. Go out and bring them the lifeline that's the gospel. If not, they're going to drown. That is also certain. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing good. Nothing good. I imagine Christ again as that lifeguard sitting, watching the world when the Father said, now's the time. Rescue was here. He left not only heaven. Think about this. He left the safety of heaven and came as the most, the thing that needed the most protection, a baby. All the certainty because he trusted his Father. He left it. He left Godhood behind to rescue his creation. The Bible also says in Mark 2.17, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto him, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christmas also reminds us none of us are well. None of us are well, and that we all need saving. It should remind you of that moment that Jesus reached out and pulled you out of the muck and the mire. There are none that are whole apart for Christ. So we go from the water drowning, and God calls us to sit and watch, to be in that lifeguard tower on watch. It should help us that we were once in the water. We know what it looks like to be drowning because we once were. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of where Jesus brought us from because it helps us to identify that in other people. But the need to be alert has never been greater than it is now. Ezekiel 62.6 says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls. O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night, yea, that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. It's not our responsibility to remain silent. It's our responsibility to remain alert. You know, the pandemic has done some very interesting things. We don't have enough time this morning to walk through how it has impacted all the different also revealed there's less people sitting on the wall watching too. Because I think the idea that we held has been shattered by what God has done to the world. How he has revealed his truth to us. Jesus said that he would separate the wheat from the chaff and the goat from the sheep. The need is never greater than now. Christmas should remind us of that too. Time has evolved. Our season on the wall for each of us is going to come and pass. And it's not just good enough to go up on the wall. That passage in Ezekiel says that being silent and not blowing the trumpet puts the hands of the dead, the blood of the dead on your hands. It's not just good enough to be on the wall. 
You have to be alert on the water. It's not just good enough to be watching the water. We have to be willing to go in the water. Paul reminds Timothy of this point when he reminds him of the purpose of the gospel. The Christmas story is the beginning of the gospel, but it's also our beginning. Christmas celebrates that beginning by reminding us that it was Jesus' earthly beginning and our chance for redemption. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, this is a faithful saying. That's the same as Jesus saying, if you got ears, listen. This is a very unusual statement. It's actually not used in any of other in any of Paul's other letters. It's only used in the pastoral letters, right here. Paul was needing Timothy like he needed something to get his attention, shake him up a little bit. He was like, letters for a while, you're kind of used to the format and all this stuff, and greetings to the church in here, and greetings to the church in here. No, no, no. He he went through all that and he said, no. Look, listen, stop. And he's listening. This is important, what I'm getting ready to tell you. And I can imagine Timothy probably taking a step back and going, man, he's going to give me something that's just going to, wow, so crazy. You know, I might think that Timothy may have actually been a little disappointed. Oh, come on, I knew all this stuff already. Paul, why are you telling me about the gospel again? Paul said, because there's nothing else greater. There's nothing else greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else greater than the good news of Jesus coming to earth to save you. Nothing better. And there is no better ointment for the ailment of the church than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you see, it's not just for lost people. The gospel is for saved people too. But I think sometimes we get in a different mode in the Gospels for reaching out and the Gospels for ministry and all that stuff. And then this is true. None of this matters without the Gospel. None of it matters. What makes the church different than any other nonprofit organization? It better be the Gospel. Or you're just another Red Cross that has a tax exempt. The gospel has to be the difference. Christmas reminds us of that. Paul doesn't use this phrase anywhere else. He's trying to shake Timothy. We mentioned it several times this morning, but Jesus came into the world so that I might know him, so that you might know him, so that you might know salvation. But like Jesus in the gospel of Mark, he didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick. He came for those that didn't know him and were drowning. I firmly believe with all of my heart that we need to remind ourselves of this every single day. That we should wake up in the morning as we're getting ready, look in the mirror, and preach ourselves the gospel. Every single morning.
You look at that wretched, sinful, broken creature staring back at you in the morning and you say, I have eternal life because God's grace made a way for me. Jesus died for somebody like me, not because I'm good, but because he's good and he loves me. That does so much to your mindset. I was having a conversation with somebody talking about their quiet time and they were like, if I don't do my quiet time in the morning, my whole day goes sideways. Imagine if you haven't anchored your identity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which way could your day drift? And you know what's funny about drifting? I never thought of this. Dr. Maynard did. But, you know, drifting. Some of y'all that like boats get this, and some of y'all that like the water get this. If you just let yourself drift, you never drift closer to the things you want. You always drift in a direction you don't want to go. When you are not tethered, not anchored by the gospel of Jesus Christ, your identity can drift. The next thing you know, you're taking on all kinds of other things, like I've said a million times, maybe good things, but may not be God things. And then your priorities are all askew. And it started with that moment in the morning where you preached yourself the gospel. It reminds us that we were bought with a price. How many people today need to know that they're valuable? How many people today need to know that they're worth something? More than the paycheck that their job gives them. More than the love of the people in their lives give them. They are worth so much more than that. They were bought with a price. So not only do you give yourself identity, you give yourself value. I'm not worthless. The enemy, by the way, a liar, is going to tell you that you are worthless. Suicide's number one cause of death among young adults in this country. Because they don't see any value in themselves. Jesus changes that. The gospel gives you value because you were bought with a price. He's reminding Timothy of this. That was a liar. Don't you forget that. He also here too, like a lion sitting at the door, waiting, waiting to just tear Timothy up. As soon as Timothy got into a little bit of conflict, as soon as Timothy got into a little bit of pressure, the devil would wait and start whispering in his ear and say, man, you can't do this. This is going to fail. This is all coming apart. You know what? It's your fault. You never should have listened to Paul. Paul's a liar. But Paul said, Timothy, that's not true. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ saved you. And it saved me. You know, Romans 5, 20 through 21 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
You know, the, the last part of that, Paul said, not only did he change, not only did he save me, but he saved me, and I'm the chief of all sinners. You know, that passage in Romans is talking about what appears to us to be a greater offense means it requires more grace to cover it. Paul was like, look at me, Timothy, look at me right now. I am the worst of the worst. I was the leader of all of it. And you know, Paul, and I'm sure that this was what had to have been interesting, but I tell young people this, they, their jaws drop and they look at me when I say, you know, there was no Wi-Fi back then. They're like, I can hear them, just their heart stop. I'm like, it's okay. There was no Instagram. And I watch them turn another shade of white as blood starts to leave their body. And they're just, they start, I'm saying, you probably want to sit down for the rest of this because they start to get lightheaded. There was no Twitter. I watch them just shake like a Jenga tower, just swirling around. I'll say, wasn't even Facebook. And by that time, if they're not sitting, they've already hit the ground. And I was like, so you imagine without any of that kind of technology, every town that Paul went to for the first time, you know who they saw him as? The murderer, the chief of sinners, the guy persecuting the church. Can you imagine every town he rolled into for the first time? He went to the synagogue, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people went, oh, this has got to be a trap. Come on now. How's he going in there preaching the gospel? And uh, I'm not falling for that because as soon as I say praise the Lord, he's going to kill me. He's going to drag me out and stone me like he did Stephen. No, 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 no. No, you're not catching me. Smarter than you are, Paul. Despite the fact that you are one smart cookie, Paul. But then as Paul continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with earnestness, people would have to go, what changed that guy? Paul said, I was the chief, the leader. He was single-handedly trying to destroy the early church. He would persecute them. He'd go from town to town, have people drug out of synagogues and out of their homes and have them stoned in front of the town to make an example. You don't want that, do you? You don't want that, do you? Paul reminded him, remember that's who I used to be. I see you dead. That helped the church in Ephesus. He said, but I'm not that guy anymore. He said, uh, he emphasized when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Look, notice that he actually didn't go into detail about everything he said. He could have told him. This has been, this, if this was a movie, this would have been a great time for a flashback. And to show all the things that Paul did. But Paul never did. You want to know why? He didn't want to draw attention to the sin. Our past, we can glorify our sins, too. 
Sometimes what we can make it seem like, oh, you know, back in the day, I used to do this. You got a big old smile on your face. People are going, why'd you ever stop? It looks like you gave me a good time. But Paul said, no, I'm just going to remind you, I was the chief of sinners. He got his point across because he didn't want it to be about the sin. He wanted it to be about the grace. I don't have to tell you who I was because I've already lived that life. You knew it. You saw it. I need to look at where I am now. That grace saved us and the access to grace took shape in the form of a baby with the arrival of Christ at Christmas. Think about that. Access to salvation came because Jesus came for us. We'll draw your attention also to the first part of that verse for Romans 5 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered kind of bound. I think sometimes we get the law wrong too. I think we get the purpose of the law wrong. The purpose of the law wasn't to make somebody righteous, it was to point out who was wicked. But sometimes we get on the other side of the law that's been satisfied, and we might use it like a club. Tell people what they've done wrong. Last time I checked, it's judge not lest ye be judged. The law wasn't given so that we could prove that we are righteous. Knew that we were wicked. One of the most well-attended sermon series I ever preached was 12 weeks on the Ten Commandments. And when I was writing it, I was like, ain't nobody going to want to come listen to the Ten Commandments. But by the second or third week, when they started to understand that they weren't there for self-justification, that they were there so God could prove his point, you can't do it on your own, people got really interested. They got really interested in that. The law was never meant to clear our righteousness. It was designed to point out the offense and point us to something that could satisfy the law for us, to give us grace. To remove the penalty of sin, which by the way is death. You know, this is what's so something else the gospel tells you too. When you look in the mirror, grace doesn't necessarily say you didn't commit the offense. Grace says you're just not going to be punished. You need to remind yourself of that too because that's what Paul was also telling Timothy. He was saying, it's not about me being righteous. It's about me being covered by grace. And don't you think that chief of sinners to righteousness, no, no, Paul would have never said that. Paul would have said, chiefs of sinners covered by grace. Nowhere in there did he put himself up or above if anything, I don't know how you can do this, but he did. He took himself from chief of sinners and he put himself even lower. You realize Paul's nickname was Old Camel Knees. He spent so much time on his knees. The early church fathers said that they were flat and just shaped. They looked like, you know, a camel's foot looks like a big pillow. 
So when it stands on sand, it flattens out so it won't sink in the sand. They said Paul's knees, he spent so much time on his knees that they had flattened out like a camel's foot and that he was just as comfortable sitting on his knees as he was standing on his feet. That's also what the gospel does for you too. It brings you to your knees, but it keeps you on your knees too. Paul was reminding Timothy that when you go in there, you don't go in there and leave. You go in there and leave because you're covered in grace. And you don't lead people to you. You lead them to Jesus. You know, we are guilty. We did it. I nailed Jesus to the cross. I know we think that sometimes when we hear people say it. But it's actually part of what I tell myself when I look at myself in the morning. I say, I'm covered by grace. But I did it. It might as well have been my hand holding the hammer that drove the nail through his hands and through his feet. It might as well have been me that held the spear that pierced his side. It might as well have been me that ripped his clothes off and gambled for him. It might as well have been me that stood there and watched his mother weep while her son died. It might as well have been me. Paul said, don't you ever forget that, Timothy. Don't you ever forget that. Paul is saying that I deserved everything that I should have received and more, that I am guilty of being a sinner. That's why that I can say, this is a trustworthy statement. He didn't just say, hey, trust me because I'm telling you to trust me because that's circular logic, right? Well, I'm smart because I'm the smartest one in here. No, that's circular logic. You can't justify it with what it is. Paul said, I, this is a trustworthy statement. And it all hinges on the fact because he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Look at who I was. Look at who I am now. Look at who I was. Look at who I am now. Anyone, if anyone deserved to be cut off from Christ, it was me. What Paul said? Paul's telling Timothy all of this in that statement. I tried to kill the church. I persecuted the body. And yet he took away my blindness so that I could truly see. Don't look at me because I'm great. Look at me because grace works. We all have a story. We all have something that we can share with other people and say, look at what Jesus That's the only story that actually matters. It's the one that's intertwined with the gospel. That's the one that people need to hear. But I'm going to be super truthful for a minute because if I wasn't, I'm going to be held accountable for it. A life that does not show or exhibit grace also says that Jesus not, did nothing for me in my life looks exactly the same now. It's powerful, just as powerful. The testimony of a lack of grace is just as powerful as a testimony full of grace. What's the testimony that your wife has been preaching? Are your words seasoned with salt and with grace? 
the way that you see lost people, the way that you interact with lost people, the way you think about how you do everything from church to life. Is it full of grace? Because if it's not, your testimony is actually the exact opposite of what Paul It's, I'm the chief of sinners. I nailed him to the cross. And look, I'm still holding a hammer. You want to help me? That's what the other testimony says. I think the church, for a long time, maybe even unknowingly, that's what they've been preaching to. A lack of grace. A lack of putting themselves on their knees. A lack of submission. Verse 16 says, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. This is what's so cool about Paul's declaration here. After he gives him the reason for why it's all true, that you need to listen to this, he looks at him and he says, but don't forget it's because Christ came that I obtained mercy. Paul said that his being saved would demonstrate patience on the part of Christ. Because he deserved to be destroyed when he did the wrong. But the Bible also says God is patient. Let's no man be destroyed. What happens when God's people don't exhibit the same kind of patience in same kind of patience with lost people. Then we become the agent of condemnation. We put the hammer back in our hand again. And not only did we, our testimony becomes, I put Jesus on the cross, we put that person on the cross. We've got to get the hammer out of our hands, folks. We've got to let our life be seasoned with grace and with patience. You know, Paul believed that he was redeemed. He truly believed this. He redeemed, he was believed he was redeemed. So that nobody could use the excuse of I'm too bad or I'm too far gone. He believed that. He actually believed that. That if the murderer who persecuted the church and to try to destroy the body of Christ could be redeemed, so could you. So could anybody come in contact with you. I'm always reminded here when I'm talking about these great people in the Bible, because we look at them as great people, heroes in the Bible. I always think about what Dr. Craig used to tell me about people in the Bible. You know, these guys, they didn't know when they were living their lives that they were ever going to be in the Bible. There was no Bible when they were living their lives. They weren't, they weren't thinking that this is what was going to happen to them. David didn't walk out in that field holding a few stones and going, man, I can't wait till everybody looks at me like a hero. No, he was looking going, I just don't want to die to that guy. Come on, Lord, where are you at? Paul wasn't standing here going, boy, I tell you what, I can't wait till people talk about me 3,000 years later and here I am. St. Paul. He said, the only reason God saved me is so nobody could use the excuse that I'm too bad. That I'm too far gone. And he also, they didn't know they'd be in the Bible. They didn't know they'd be seen as heroes. 
They were honestly just trying to live an obedient life. That's the difference. Go through Hebrews 11 if you ever want to know. It's all about faith. It's all about trust. It's all about obedience. You might go, well, that's cool. Well, what does that have to do with me? Everything. Now look, the canon's closed. There's no more Bible being written. The canon's closed. And it'll never be opened again. You're not going to make the Bible. Sorry to disappoint you. But your life can make just as much impact as Paul's did. Your testimony can reach as many people as Peter did. Your presentation of the gospel can reach through the barriers like Peter's at Pentecost. If you trust, if you're obedient, and if you remember, chief of sinners, saved by grace. Chief of sinners, saved by grace. And then you get to step back and say, look at what the life of Christ and his obedience produced. It produced salvation for me. It can produce salvation for you. And Paul's saying, Timothy, don't you ever forget, it's provided you salvation, but it will be the thing that that ministry is built on. Why do you think Timothy needed any of these things? You ever ask yourself that question? Why did Paul write it? Was it because Paul was maybe afraid that, well, I picked him to go out there, but well, I'm telling you, I don't think he's ready. <laughs> I mean, I'm having second thoughts about this Tim guy. Tim? Just, mm. Tell you what, we're going to have to do a little cram session. <laughs> we're going to have to get him ready. He's not ready. Let me write him this letter. You know what? It's not even going to be one. I need to write him two. And he needs to say, oh, i got to get to him. I don't think it wasn't because he was prepared. I don't think it wasn't because he didn't know or he wasn't smart or he wasn't a great leader or a great preacher. I don't think it was any of that. Timothy was going to lead the church at Ephesus through some rough, rough waters. And Paul knew what he needed. Great knowledge? Nope. Supreme talent? Nope. Paul knew that Timothy would need the gospel and needed to be reminded that it always comes back to grace. It always comes back to Christ. And when we talk about Christ, it always comes back to Christ in the flesh and back at Christmas. So what is Christmas? Christmas is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Heaven met earth so that the chief of sinners could one day be declared righteous in the eyes of God. It was also to give us a testimony to weave our lives into the gospel so that where is my life, there is the gospel. And where there is the gospel, there is my life. Paul laid this out for Timothy and he said, it can't be you and the gospel. It's got to be you as the gospel. That's the call of the church today. Not for us to be Calvary and the gospel, but for Calvary to be the gospel.
the living embodiment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in us. Grace, mercy, patience, submission, obedience. We've got to take the hammer out of our hands. We've got to live a life seasoned with salt and grace. Because if we don't, we're saying something. You know, Pastor Tim always used to say all the time, he used to say, you know, you can say this or you can do that and you can say it doesn't mean anything, but you know what? You are always communicating a message to the people who are around you. With everything you say, with everything you do, with everything you wear, you are communicating a message to the world around you. Now, sometimes that message is unintentional and sometimes it's minuscule and it doesn't matter. But wherever you go, you're communicating a message. Let Christmas remind us that the message that should be in our hearts, on our lips, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bring that lifeline to people. Let's see people pulled out of the muck and mire. Let's see them pulled back. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to establish my church on this rock and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. You know the job of the gates to hold people in and to keep people out. Our job is to wrap the gospel around ourselves like a safety rope because it's what connects us and we're supposed to walk down to the gates of hell. Just grab a hold of somebody and then tie that gospel message to them and let God pull them right out of the mouth of hell. Last time I checked, the pandemic has told us there are more people drowning than there are people sitting in the towers. 